Well, good morning, church. I can see it right now. Sunday morning sermon, hard rain. I've been known to throw things at people that go to sleep. Back in the youth group days. Oh, yeah. Now, we're glad that you're here this morning. Thanks for joining us and being a part of uh, Crosspoint this morning. It's always a joy to get together with the family of God and celebrate our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, and all that he has done for us. Amen. Uh, what a joy it is to be with you on a Sunday morning as the family of God. We want to say welcome to our guests that are here today as well. Thanks for joining us and being a part of our service today. Our hope is that you've seen Jesus Christ in our midst. And of course, we're hoping that if you're looking for a church home, man, today you could say you found it. We'd love for you to be a part of our family here at Cross Point. I know you've got a bulletin, and if you look in there, there are multiple ways for you to get involved in ministry right here, telling the story of hope to the world around us who so desperately needs to hear that story. You can plug your gift set in to different ministries we've got going on here, and all of us know that we're broken people, and we've just decided to surrender ourselves to Jesus Christ and say, God, use us in your story how you see fit. We want to be a part of what you're doing in the world. Well, we are uh, in week two of a series called Flip the Script, and we are wanting to look into the lies that Satan tells us, the enemy is telling in our ear each and every day that sometimes we buy into, uh, but yet we know that God tells the truth through his son, Jesus Christ. We can lean into that truth instead. And so what we want to do over this series is kind of reveal some of these lies that we have taken to be truth. We know that uh, Jesus says in John 10 and verse 10, he says, look, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you life and give it to the full. We know that there is a spiritual battle going on right now in the world and in our very lives. Satan wants nothing more than for our relationship with God to just disintegrate, to be non-existent. But equally, God desires a relationship with us, and so we've got to be conscious about what the enemy is doing in our life uh, to pull us away from that relationship and lean into instead what God is telling us in our life. I mean, after all, in John 8 and 44, we're reminded that uh, the enemy is a liar. That is his native tongue. When he speaks, he can't help but lie. That's who he is. And so when we're conscious about that, we begin to lean into the truth of the Word of God and the truth of what God wants us to know, and we can rely on that way more than what Satan would ever tell us because everything that he says is truly a fabrication. But when we make a decision to live the lie out, guess what? It becomes truth for us many times, and when we have that happen in our life, we empower that lie to rule our life. And so what we want to do is step back from those lies and really lean into the truth of God. There are some untruths that we looked at last week, and sometimes we lean into those, and they're, they're kind of not really harmful. We, we talked a little bit about eating carrots and how they make your eyesight better, or maybe you should wait to go swimming right after you're eating, those types of things. And we can kind of take those with a grain of salt. But what if we believed a lie that was absolutely detrimental to our life? Some of us in our lives have done that, and we began last week talking about some of those lies that we begin to unpack. Maybe, maybe you've believed in your life that you really don't have what it takes. Maybe you think that you're unworthy. Maybe you've leaned into the, into the lie that, that you really should have a perfect life, a great life, and that's what is owed to you. Maybe you've leaned into the lie that you can fix it yourself, that you deserve that perfect life. 
But at the very end of last week, if you remember, we, we told the whole truth out of Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. The idea that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That there is nothing that would be in my way if I were to lean into my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, surrender to him, that Satan would have no power over me, that I wouldn't believe that lie, but that I would lean into everything that God has for me in my life. And so today I want to talk about and unpack the lie that you can fix it yourself. It's the lie of pride in our life. And I'm going to be a little confessional this morning, church, because this is the one that I buy into personally more than I should. The idea that I can fix it on my own. I don't need any help. I don't need people surrounding me. Oh, I've got this. I can take care of this. Really, God, there's more important things in the world that you need to be worried about. Don't worry about this. I've got this. And I really hone in sometimes on that lie that I can fix it. And we are desperate to hide the mistakes in our life, to to cover up the things that we don't want people to know, to hide those secret sins. It's difficult for us to admit fault if we buy into this lie, that we aren't capable of taking care of it. Sometimes the it that we want to fix is a person. Now, now is not the time to look at the person beside you. Don't do that. (laughs) person you walked in the door with. But sometimes we think, man, I'm going to fix her, or I'm going to fix him, and we're going to get all that squared away. Maybe sometimes you go home to the it. Maybe in your life you are raising some its, and you're going to fix them too. You know, so, so many times in our life, our identity is based on other people. I mean, their success or their failure is a reflection to me. And so we want to make sure that's all squared away. It's all covered up. But maybe the it is not a person. I'm going to fix it. Maybe it's a financial situation in your life. And you think, man, if, if I just had one more week of work or if I got one more job, man, I could, I could get rid of this debt or the overdrafts would stop or I, I could, could wipe away, not worry about living check to check. Maybe the it in your life is your marriage, and you don't want anyone to know how rough it is. So you just keep it quiet. You just tuck it back. You cover it up. You put the smile on, and you think, man, if if I just had another week, if I had another month, one more marriage seminar, and I can fix it. I can make sure that it's what it needs to be, or maybe for you the it is an addiction of some kind. And maybe it all started way back when with one drink. And now for whatever reason, you're like, how did it get here? Maybe it started with uh, some medical procedure in your life and you had some pain pills, but now it seems impossible to get off of those, although the surgery was months, maybe years ago. Or maybe it was accidentally late night at your house and you accidentally went to this one website. And now as you look back, you think, how did it get to where it is today? If, if I just had a little more time, man, I could, I could remedy that. I could fix it. I could put the filters on. I could, I could get rid of the secret sin that's in my life. Maybe it's a broken relationship that you want to fix. And you think, man, if I could just get them to see my way, then I could fix it. But the enemy stands behind us, and he leans forward, and he whispers in our ear, you've got this. 
You don't need to tell anybody. Don't pray about it. Don't have your friends involved in it. No, no, you can handle this. You can do it on your own. And so we cover up and we don't want anyone to know about the negative situation in our life or maybe how rough our marriage is or what addictions might be going on or the secret sin that we have in our life. We just cover it up and put it behind us because we can fix it. I can take care of this. I mean, in our Western culture, we really emphasize individualism, don't we? I mean, this idea that, man, you can handle it. Just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You can make it work. Rub some dirt on it. Get back in the game. That's the kind of mentality that we have here in America. And if we're seeing anything different than that, then we're weak and we're not whole. And we've got problems if we need help dealing with things. Because here we, we value self-starters. We value self-sustainers. Folks who can move forward in life seemingly on their own. Man, they don't need any help at all. And we hold that high and we value that in our life. I mean, think about your own kids when they were growing up. What was one of the first phrases that they learned? By myself, right? Go over there, mom. I can handle this. I can do this. By myself. And we applaud that. Every Saturday morning when I have a chance, I get up, I get a cup of coffee, and I sit down, and I watch one of the do-it-yourself shows. But even those shows lie, too. There's no way you can get that done in 30 minutes. I've tried. (laughs) No possible way. It's crazy. But we live in that type of world, don't we? The do-it-yourself mentality. I can take care of this myself. I I don't need any help in in the process. But you know, that's not a new idea for us here in our culture in America. No, it's, it's been going on for a long time. We, we talked about this story last week. I want to visit it yet again. In Genesis chapter 16, there is a married couple. And this married couple has been, been made a promise by God to them. They said, look, you're going to have a child. And that promise was made when they were younger, but now they're, they're older. They're past the childbearing years, and, and they're, they're, they still don't have a kid. And God even said in the process, not only am I going to bless you with a child, but that child is going to bless the entire world. And we know in hindsight that that he was referring to the birth of Jesus Christ in that lineage. And Abraham and Sarah were really debating on how are we going to observe the promise that God's given us. And then Sarah, in verse 2 of that chapter, she says, oh, oh, I know. I'm going to fix this. God needs my help in the process. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step up, and I've got a game plan. And here's the game plan. I'm going to tell my husband to take my servant, Hagar. He's much younger, ability to, to raise a, a child, to have a child. And sure enough, they came together, and they had a, a kiddo by the name of Ishmael because Sarah couldn't wait. She could fix it herself. She could do it all herself. And today we can turn on the social media, any, any number of news outlets, and we can see the conflict between Jews and Muslims and Muslims and Christians, and we can look at that conflict that we see on our TVs today and trace it all the way back to this one chapter where someone said, I can fix this. I can do it myself. 1 Samuel chapter 13. 
King Saul is trying to take back the land from the Philistines. They have kind of occupied some areas and they've got some garrisons around. There have been some skirmishes and the Israelites have done battle and they've won the day. And so Saul calls together all of the people of Israel, the men, and by the way, these men are not warriors, they're, they're farmers, And they gather in one location, and they're about to go out and take on the Philistine army, who's also gathering in force. But Saul doesn't want to go into battle without God's blessing. And so Samuel, the prophet and priest for for Israel, is on his way to the town to do a sacrifice before they begin battle. And Saul is waiting. King Saul is waiting. And he waits some more. He understands and hears that the Philistines are massing forces and they're about to march toward them. Saul's own people also know that. And so they begin kind of trickling away, going back to their homes and their lands because they're becoming afraid. And Saul is losing his army. It's gone from a few thousand, now it's down to a few hundred people. And he continues to lose folks. It's been a week. He's waiting for Samuel. And the king says, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and do this myself. I've got this. I'll fix it myself. I'll do the sacrifice. And sure enough, seven days after Samuel was supposed to be there, he begins the sacrifice. And Samuel walks into the picture. And he says, Saul, because you could not wait on the story of God. Because you decided to fix it yourself. You called your own audible there. Your crown is going to be taken away from you, and no one in your family will ever ever sit on the throne of Israel. I've got this. I can do it. Jump forward to the New Testament. The church is, is going both guns blazing, and things are going great. The Holy Spirit is at work. The church is, is growing. Many Jews are coming into faith. They also believe Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God. But there are some in the group that call themselves the Judaizers. Paul calls them, he teaches about these folks, the false teachers, all in his letters. Be careful of these folks. Because where they believe in the grace of God, where they believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the the anointed one, the Messiah, they also believe that you still got to keep the law. If you're going to be a child of God, you, you still got to keep all these rules and regulations. I mean, if I keep all of these rules, some 600 and whatever... I can get to heaven. I will be saved. And Paul says, don't you understand? That's been done away with. The grace of God through his son Jesus Christ is now what saves you. You don't have to go by every single law. And they were wanting to save themselves, essentially. I can make it happen myself. Well, if you and I buy into that lie in our time, right now, where we are, if we buy into that lie that we can fix ourselves, there are some things that happen in our life. And I want to talk just in the brief time we have left together about five or six of those things that can happen. One is this, that it increases pride in our life. If we buy the idea that Satan's telling us that I can fix it myself, then it simply increases pride in my life. Why is that? Because I begin to think that I don't need anyone. I don't need your help on my journey. I don't need your prayers. God, you're you're, you're busy doing other things out there. I'll take care of this. This is a small thing. I can handle it. Before we know it, things are worse off than we ever thought they would be. 
because we've decided to fix it. It reminded me of a story back in 2012. My oldest son had graduated high school, and so uh, at our church there was a family that owned a beach house in Florida. So we rented that house from them uh, and went down there for a few days with uh, a couple of their friends. And I remember in, in this house, it was in a bigger building, there were actually four homes in this house. And I remember we'd been there a couple of days, and we'd sat down for dinner one night until we heard this frantic beat on the front door. And so I got up and I went to the front door. There was a, clearly an older retired lady that was there and she, her face was frantic. Please come and help. And she turned and ran back up the stairs. I thought, oh, wow. So I ran up the stairs. We went upstairs to see what was going on. We opened the front door and down the hallway, her husband was holding a bucket up to the wall and there was water coming out of a hole about 100 miles an hour. See, he had... He had made a decision to fix it himself. He was going to do it on his own, and he got a drill. He was going to hang a picture and went through the wall and went right into the copper pipe in the house. And they, for about 15 minutes, had been deciding on what to do. He had the bucket catching water. She had the empty bucket near the bathroom, and when that one was full, they would swap out, and she would dump it in the bathtub. And for about 15 minutes, they were like, well, we can't stand here all night long. We've got to go get some help. So sure enough, she came down and got us. But isn't that like our life sometimes? We decide to fix it ourselves rather than waiting on the story of God. And we end up with a bigger mess than what we started with. See, when we buy into that lie, pride increases. I can do this on my own. But it also minimizes the problem. It's the idea that, man, this is nothing I can't handle. I I can do this. I really don't need your help. I've got this thing. Brian Regan is a great comedian, and he tells a story that reminded me of my own childhood. I grew up in a a generation where there were no video games, no no consoles like that. You came home from school, you changed out of your uh, school clothes, got in your play clothes, and you went outside until mom called you for dinner. Wasn't any watching TV. And so my brothers and I, we would rig up the, the old bike ramp. Brian tells this story about his, he and his brothers as well. And you put the bike ramp, you know, it's a piece of wood on a couple of cinder blocks in the road because that's where the cars are. It makes it more interesting. <laughs> and Brian says that we get to the top of the hill. My brother came down the first time. He hit the ramp and did a flip in the air. And midair, the brother says, what do I do now? And the other two go, I don't know. <laughs> sure enough, he hits the mailbox. Things don't end up just as they should. And then... The two that are left, they kind of argue about who's going to run in and tell mom. And so he goes inside as fast as he can to talk to his mom. And he says, oh, full blast in front of his mom. Hey, mom, you know Kevin. Of course you do. You're his mom. You know Kevin. Well, you know, Kevin's arm used to bend like this. It's not bending like that anymore. And we were thinking, we knew that you were going to the grocery store today. And and we thought maybe, just maybe, while you were out at the grocery store, you might want to take Kevin to the hospital. Sometimes we minimize the issue, don't we? we? We have a tough time with life because we buy into the lie. And then it feeds the guilt we have in our life. Because as we begin looking at what's going on, we realize that we don't have what it takes to fix the problem. I can't do this on my own. No, in fact, I need you, and I need God in the process too. 
And that guilt washes over us and then it intensifies the fallout that is happening in our life. We begin to ponder what's happening and we think, man, how did I let it get this bad? I thought I had this. I thought I could fix it. I I thought it was something that I had under control. And so we look at how bad maybe the drinking has gotten for us, and we think, man, I've kept this quiet a long time. I can't believe I've let it get to this point. I can't believe how many times I've gone to that website. It was an accident the first time, and now I feel like I'm hooked. And that guilt and that feeling with the fallout robs us of the intimacy that we have with other relationships in our own life. Because we cannot be vulnerable to those closest to us, to our very close friends and our family. It takes that away from us, the ability to communicate, because we are guilty, we feel the guilt, we are ashamed of where we're at. And we don't always get it right, but that's why we push Connect Group here at Crosspoint. It's our teaching model. We want everyone to be in one because not only does it get you deeper into the Word of God for some practical application in your own life, but it also connects you with other people that you can journey with, folks that you can talk about, what's going on in my life? Can we pray together? I'll pray for you. You pray for me. We're in this thing together. You don't have to be alone. And if I could talk to the men here for just a moment, out of the two genders, I think this is the gender that has the most trouble with this particular idea. We, we've got to have, guys, people in our life that we lean into. We've got to have people that we're willing to confide in. A, a close circle, not 300 people, but maybe three or four, that we're able to be totally honest with. And one of those people should be your spouse. I don't know about you, but I need my wife's wisdom I need her discernment. I need her creative ability to help me solve problems going on in my life. I don't need to go it alone. And what happens in that process, when we become vulnerable to those around us, when we become transparent, then we make the other person feel valued and we become known. This is the real me. This is what I struggle with. This is where I'm at in life. Can you pray with me? Can you journey with me? Can we have a cup of coffee together and be real for a moment? But if we continue to buy into the lie that I can fix this, I've got this under control, it simply fuels hypocrisy in our own life. Because I can't let anyone know the truth about what is going on in my life, how broken things really are, and so I'm just going to continue the masquerade. I'm just going to keep wearing the mask. I don't want to be real with those people around me. I don't want to be honest with God. But we've got to be listening to God's true voice and not the lies that Satan tells us. Which brings us to our text this morning. Hebrews chapter 4, the writer there is trying to tell us how awesome God is and what type of person that we have in Christ Jesus, what he's done for us in this process so that we don't have to take it on by ourselves. And the writer begins at verse 14 and he says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. 
This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. You see, we're reminded here that Jesus has gone to bat for us. We don't have to fix it ourselves. Jesus has already fixed it on the cross and with the empty tomb and now sits at the right hand of God. And because of that picture, because of that story, you and I don't have to lean into the lie that the enemy tries to tell us each and every day. You remember in the Old Testament in Jerusalem, there is the temple, and at the temple there is one high priest. And when you go there to sacrifice an animal for the sins that you have in your life or your family's sins... He sacrifices that animal and then lays it on the altar. In that moment, visually, you can see the high priest and what he does. He stands between you and God, and he is telling God, this person has tried to make his life, her life, correct in your sight. I stand and vocally tell you that, God. I'm their advocate. I'm their counselor. I'm telling you. I'm standing in the gap, if you will. And the writer here in Hebrews says that's exactly what Jesus has done for us, that he stands in the gap for us, that he talks to God on our behalf, that he loves us so very much he doesn't want to lose one relationship, but he pours into us the story of his life, and we grasp that story. The Greek word that is used here for understands when it says this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, it's kind of the difference in two ideas, empathy and sympathy. You and I can look at a commercial maybe about a family in Africa who is in need of food. And we may be prayerful in the moment. We may feel compassion in the moment. We may even send money to the company that's asking us to help out send the food. We may even hire a missionary to go to that place or we could make a decision physically to go there ourselves, And the Greek word that's represented here says that Jesus made a decision to go there himself. It was more than just compassion. It was empathy. It's saying, I want to walk with my creation so I understand fully what they deal with day in and day out, who they truly are. So what does it mean That Jesus is indeed the Son of God and he is our high priest. And we discover in verse 16 what the writer says. Because he's our high priest, because he is the Son of God, so because of those things, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Isn't that a beautiful picture, church? Oh, man. That we've got an advocate Someone, even in our mess-ups, even in the fact that we feel guilty and that that we can't fix it ourselves, we've got someone who is on our side, who is advocating for our salvation, who loves us that much. You see, Jesus is for you. He's on your side. He desperately wants a relationship with you. And if you're listening to the enemy, lean in and say, don't talk about it. Don't tell it. You can fix this. You can simply turn around with the truth and say, you're right, I can't fix it, but I do know who can. And he's my Lord and Savior. He's my risen king. And I will buy into that. Now, some of you are waiting for God to come to you. And the truth is, he's already done that in the form of Jesus Christ. Our text says, no, that we can go boldly before the throne of God. We can go to God without fear, because we have a Savior who's advocating for us at the right hand of God. 
You see, God will begin to heal what you are willing to reveal at the end of the day. There is a, a great man of God. His name is William Willimon. He is a professor of theology at Duke University in the Divinity School. He's also a bishop in the Methodist Church, and he, he likes to go around uh, and visit those that are sick or in hospice in his area. There's a story he tells about one lady who was dying of cancer. She was not curable, and he would go to visit with her and pray with her. And he noticed every time that she went that she held a rosary in her hand. And they would pray together. And one day he finally came, and the nurses said, she's only a few hours away from passing. And so William went in, and he prayed with her. And because of the rosary, he knew that she had a Catholic background. And and he asked her, do you want me to get you a priest? And she was very weak, barely talked, but she mustered her strength. She raised her rosary, and at the end, there is the cross. And she said, I don't need a priest. I've got one. Church, that's what Jesus is for us. Jesus Christ is our high priest. He is our rock, our salvation, everything to us. And so we don't walk to him, we run to him. Because his desire is to have a relationship with you. Don't listen to the lies that Satan tells. Don't listen that you are the one that have to fix it because Jesus Christ has already fixed it for you. I'm going to ask Brad and the praise team to come back to the stage at this time. Our shepherds and their wives are going to gather along the wall of this room. And my guess is in a room this size. But there are some of us in here who are still dealing with something that we are trying to fix. I want to encourage you today to let that go, to to let Jesus Christ handle that, to let God enter your story and you fully accept him for what he is and who he is, that you lean into the truth that he wants to tell you, that he loves you and wants a relationship with you. Maybe this morning as we sing, you, you might want to visit one of our shepherds, let them pray with you and for you. Maybe it's not the moment where you need to get absolutely detailed about what you've been hanging on to, but just that you would release the idea that you need to fix it and accept what God's done for you in your life. Maybe you've not received the power of the Holy Spirit within your own life, and so you know that's the next move. If you're going to move forward in God's story, that's what you need to do. And so this morning, I want to invite you to ask Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life, to be baptized into his name, and to receive that gift of the Holy Spirit where you can move out into God's story and do some incredible things that you never thought possible because you and I have been told the truth. And the truth is, Jesus Christ died for you, God loves you, and he's waiting for you with open arms. Let's stand together.